story about something that I did 10 years ago. Uh, you will not be proud of me. Uh, I was not married at this time, so um, Lindsay bears no responsibility for the story I'm about to tell. Uh, I've dealt with the ramifications of the story that I'm about to tell, uh, but that's all, the, that's all the notice that you guys need. So here we go. The year was the spring of 2006. It was about April, and I was a college freshman, which means that most of you are doing the math in your head. I'm 30. So, I know, I'm, it's hard for me to deal with, but that's neither here nor there. It was 2006. It was the spring of my freshman year. Uh, it was April, so we were working on towards finals, and I had spent most of the day as the nerd that I am working on projects and getting things ready for these finals, and a lot of my friends had as well. And at 11 o'clock at night, we were bored. I know, that's the makeup of a great college story. We were bored in April. We had a 1 a.m. curfew. I went to Lubbock Christian University. We had a 1 a.m. curfew, and we decided, you know what, we're going to leave campus for a couple hours, just see what we can do for a couple hours, see if we can go have some fun. There were four of us. So we decide that we are going to go find some decorations for the rooms that we're going to be in for the next, you know, three weeks or something. And these decorations were street signs. Oh, yeah. I see those all over the place. I see these in people's garages all the time. I saw these. My, my dad had street signs. But apparently taking them off the street is illegal. Who knew? So we come back to the dorms. It's 1.05 a.m., and that's far too late, and I, I'm surprised that I was able to stay up that late at that time, but I was. 1.05 a.m., and there's only one person in the dorm commons area, and so we have to ring the doorbell to get in. The doors automatically lock at 1. We ring the doorbell. We walk in like a bunch of morons with our street signs. But there's only one person. And it's not even the guy in charge. It's one of the people in our, like, our age. So no, very little responsibility about this. Didn't really matter. And so we all check in. We go to our rooms. We separate the signs. I got one, and I couldn't find a picture of it, but it was Jordan Street because I'm very, very original. Um, but we separate all these, and then we go to bed. And so... We go, the next morning, we all go to class, we all go to chapel, and during chapel, a few of us noticed that our resident advisors weren't around, and we were wondering why, what was going on, and we go back to the dorms and find notes on our doors that there had been a room search done on campus. Great. <laughs> Feel good about this. We got caught. We, we did. We just got flat out caught. This wasn't something that we were going to get away with. And so the guy that's in charge of the dorms is a guy named Roy. And Roy calls the, there were six of us on campus. Four of us went out there and two guys just had these signs that they had bought. <laughs> but whoever they had bought it from had stolen it. So it <laughs> didn't matter. Still illegal. So the six of us get called into this dorm, uh, this guy that's in charge of the dorm, into his office. And he's talking to us all. And he's saying, like, you guys, how can you be so stupid? You know this is against the rules. You know this is against the law. And he could tell that there were six of us, and we were kind of snickering to each other, laughing, not thinking this was too serious. And so what he does is he sends five of us out, 
and start speaking to us one-on-one, -on -one, which is far more effective. He started telling us, he told me, Jordan, you breached the code of conduct. Which at a Christian school, of course there is a code of conduct. And he threatened three things to us. He said, one, there's a good, good chance that you're going to lose all your scholarships. Which, like I told you, I was a nerd, and that mattered a lot to me. I wanted to be in school. He said, you'll probably be expelled from school. Which, my heart rate's up at this point, and I'm, I'm very nervous. But the third one, the third one I did not see coming. He said, we're talking to the DA, and he's considering pressing charges. And this escalated quickly. <laughs> I'll give it back. I don't... It's, it's not that big of a deal. So he sends us to meet with the dean of students, which is the next guy up. And we're talking to him. And you know, our dean of students on campus was like five years older than us. He's a young guy and, and guy that most people didn't take too seriously. And yet when we go in there and start talking to him, he has a similar talk with us, except start speaking in more like of a legalese type personality or something. So he says this. He says, the contract that we signed as students is pursuant to both parties remaining faithful to the terms therein. I was a college freshman. I didn't know what that meant. But he was talking to us and he said, this contract, you broke it. And this is on you now. So you know, we're all terrified. It's two or three days. We're waiting for our punishment. And he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to paint the curbs around campus. <laughs> we're like, yeah! <laughs> I'll do it! I'll do it! I'll do it by myself. I'll use a toothbrush. I don't care. I'll do it. Ever since then, ever since then, the phrase that he used has stuck out in my mind for a couple of reasons. The phrase that the contract was pursuant to both parties remaining faithful to the terms. And I think it stuck with me because of this. That's what I believed about God. I believed that's how our relationship with God works. And church, I want to start with this claim. That is one of Satan's greatest lies. One of Satan's greatest lies is you have to be faithful to God in order for God to be faithful to you which is not at all a call to be unfaithful, but it is a call to understand what it means for God to be faithful. And this is where we have to be precise this morning, and this is where we're going to spend some time. We're going to get into the weeds a little bit of what this means, but we need to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean for God to be faithful? And this really matters. So keep that question in your mind and turn with me over to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Psalm 105, starting in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Doesn't seem to be answering the question, but we'll keep going. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wonderful works He has done. His miracles and the judgments He has uttered. 
O offspring of his servant Abraham, servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. That doesn't answer our question, what does it mean for God to be faithful? And we're getting there. But it does give us a lens through which we can begin to do so. And when we ask ourselves, what does it mean for God to be faithful? The number one thing that I believe we need to do is what we read in verse 5. We need to remember. We need to remember. So let's continue verses 7 through 11. Keep that in mind. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He is mindful of his covenant forever. Of the world he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. All of that section is dealing with covenant. And I want to make the following claim this morning. When we are asking ourselves the question, what does it mean to be, for God to be faithful? God's faithfulness can only be assessed in terms of God's covenant. And again, that's a little in the weeds, but we're going to go there. So if God's faithfulness can only be assessed in terms of his covenant, we need to understand his covenant. So this morning what I want us to do for the next little bit is look at God's covenant with Abraham, which is the first covenant that God makes with the people Israel. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 2. God makes three promises to Abraham and one promise through Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God promises that he's going to make Abraham a great nation, that he's going to bless him, he's going to make him great. But in the end, this is all in order so that Abraham will in turn bless the world. Genesis 15 picks up again. Verse 5, look toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. God's saying that he's going to make him, he's going to have all of these offspring. And then verse 18, again, to your descendants I give this land. And he describes this vast amount of land. It's part of the covenant that God is making with Abraham. Chapter 17, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous, the ancestor of a multiple a multitude of nations. Kings shall come from you. I will give you this land. All of these places, God is making these promises for Abraham. But once we get to 22, Genesis 22, we see God doing, going back to what he said in chapter 12. I will indeed bless you. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the heaven and your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. You see, the covenant can be summarized as this. You will be blessed, and in turn be a blessing. Both of those things have to happen. 
God will bless, and God will bless through you. I told you earlier on this year, uh, back in May, when I was given the opportunity to go to Pepperdine and, and see one of my favorite theologians ever, which I know for most of you is like, why would that even matter? It, it doesn't, but I like it. I've been reading a lot of his works lately, and I read this about God's covenant. He says, God's way of putting the world right is precisely through his covenant with Israel. God's way of putting the world right is precisely through his covenant with Israel. God's covenant is, just, is not just for one small tribe to be blessed and become great and take over the world. It's not so this, this little bitty nation will become, you know, all over the place and will be supreme. That's not it. God's covenant is that through them, through that tribe, through this small group of people, God will bring a blessing on all the world, fixing what is broken, renewing what is lacking. Now I'm going to say something that sounds blasphemous, so come back. The problem with this covenant is that it requires the people of Abraham's lineage, Israel, to be faithful Not in order for God to be faithful, because God will do what God says he's going to do, but in order for those blessings upon the world to come. And God gives Israel so many chances. This past week on Wednesday nights, we have the kids in here and they're learning about Samson and and Micah was showing me his pictures of Samson and he doesn't color in the lines, so it was a little hard to see, but that's... That's neither here nor there. He's three. I, I give him a break. Uh, but we've been learning about the judges uh, this past week. The cycle of the judges is God raising up somebody to deliver them, and then them falling away and crying out to God, and God raising somebody up to deliver them. The problem with the Israelites is that they're never faithful. They continually fall away again. You look at the kings of Israel who are supposed to be representative of all of Israel. You have some good ones. You have Josiah. You have David. You have Solomon to some degree. But then the list of the bad ones, the list of the ones who do evil in the sight of the Lord is never ending. And they lead the nation to do the same. So what does that leave for God to do? How can God fulfill his covenant through these people whose faith is is inadequate, through these faithless people. And again, this is where I get to bring in my favorite theologian. So here you go. God promises to rescue and bless the world through Israel. Israel, as it stands, is faithless to the commission. God, however, is faithful and will provide a faithful Israelite, the faithful Israelite, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the representative Israelite, God in the flesh, and he brings blessings on all the people through the covenant God made with Abraham. And before you start going down the wrong paths here, God did not use Jesus as a backup plan. He was the plan from the beginning. God knew how this plan would unfold, and Jesus was the fulfillment of it. And it brings us back to our question. What does it mean for God to be faithful? 
It means that God fulfills his covenant promises, which he has done through Jesus Christ. That's why in Romans 3 and 4, if you like to read Romans, which most people do, Paul tells the Romans that to be an heir of Abraham has absolutely nothing to do with everything and everything to do with faith, and it is accomplished through Jesus. That's why in Galatians 3.29, Paul tells these Gentiles that if they are in Christ Jesus, they are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That is the gospel. That this people that God was trying to bless the world through has actually accomplished what it was meant to accomplish through Jesus. And because of that, God has brought blessings on all the world for all nations to be blessed and come to know him. It's why we're here. It's why, because Jesus Christ has brought completion to what Israel was never able to do, and we get to be the people of God. And so, you're probably wondering, what's the connection of this to Psalm 105? Good. The connection is this. How do we trust God to be faithful? The answer is simple. We remember. We remember. We look back and we see how God has been faithful, and we rest assured that the God who is faithful to his covenant promises is the same God who was and is and is to come. He's the same God who's the, yes, the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we ask the question whether or not we can trust God to be faithful, all we have to do is remember what God has done. And you're probably thinking, that's all fine and good, Jordan. See, we can all do that, but really, what does it look like? And, and I'm so glad you asked. I think it, it looks kind of like what Bill was talking about earlier. That no matter what the outcome is in nine days or much longer if this is anything like 2,000. No matter what the outcome is, no matter if your guy wins or loses, or if there's a draw, or if there's World War III based on what happens, which some people are claiming will, will be the case. No matter if there's disaster, no matter if there's war, no matter what's going on, we trust that God is still in control. We can have faith in the God who has been faithful. You remember the prophet Jeremiah? Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Uh, we, Lindsay and I and my family had the chance to go to Rome, and they had all these uh, statues of these different prophets and these different saints, and Jeremiah was one of them. And he's just standing there, and you can see the tears coming down his face. Jeremiah was in a much worse time than us with much worse circumstances. If you've ever read Psalm 137, it's one of the darkest psalms there is. But these Israelites had seen their city, Jerusalem, just be sacked. They had seen babies be killed in front of them, and they were on the other side of the river being told to play the songs of Jerusalem, play the songs of Zion. They're saying, we can't do this. That's Jeremiah's time. And yet, Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23, Jeremiah, this prophet who's seen everything awful happen, says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Church, it looks like this. When your health fails, 
like Pam Joyners did. She was the wife of the preacher of the small town I grew up in. She was a sweet lady, great mom, a wonderful wife. And yet she had MS and cancer at the same time. She slowly passed away for about three years. Three years. If you ever go through something so painful and difficult, having faith in God, remembering God's faithfulness until the end, just as Hebrews 10.23 teaches us, that's what this looks like. My grandmother... Her mother, my great-grandmother, had Alzheimer's recently. And she passed away, but for years, my grandmother took care of her mom. And her mom forgot who she was early on, but remembered very clearly her brothers. And would brag on these brothers and demean my grandmother, who was taking care of her. When you go through situations like that, We remember God's faithfulness, just as 2 Thessalonians 3.3 teaches, and we can have strength to keep serving. When I was 10, I was in a coma. So there, now you know something about me, other than I'm a criminal. So (laughs) two things this morning, good. When I was 10, I was in a coma for, for about a week. And if I bring it up today, my mom will still keep crying. She can't stop. She tells a story of of the weight of knowing that there is nothing in the world she can do. Feeling the weight of knowing that there was nothing. She couldn't hold me. She couldn't touch me because I had tubes everywhere. Uh, She couldn't do anything. And yet she said, the only thing I could do was trust God. That's what it looks like to remember God's faithfulness, just as Paul urged Timothy to in 2 Timothy 2.13. This refrain, great is God's faithfulness, comes up over and over again. Church, there are going to be dark times. There are going to be bad things that happen to us. There are going to be these moments where where despite our best efforts, we don't sense God's presence. But we need to remember that the same God that created the worlds, that was crucified on Calvary, that rose on the third day, is seated in heaven and is still on our side because we can trust that God is faithful. So the challenge is this. Every week I try to offer you a challenge in the end. Whatever the circumstances and whatever happens, let us remember how God has been faithful and trust that he will be faithful to the end. I'm going to turn it over to whichever elder doesn't have their phone on. (laughs) 